You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, November 10th, and we have a packed show today. On episode 207 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we're going to recap last night's opening night victory for Virginia Tech men's basketball over Maine and look ahead to their trip to Annapolis this weekend. And then the second half of the show, we'll preview the final home football game of the season for the Hokies as Duke travels to Lane Stadium on Saturday afternoon. All of that and much more coming up on episode 207 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. <laughs> we welcome you into episode 207 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, however you're taking it in, whether it's archived on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or if you are watching on the YouTube channel, we ask you to like, comment, and subscribe to the Tech Sideline YouTube channel. And if you are live in the YouTube stream, be sure to leave a question or comment in the chat below, and we will get to those with Will and Chris with Katie at the end. The, as always, Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg and one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. Usual Wednesday crew on set, Will Stewart, founder and general manager across the way. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist at Tech Sideline to my left in the fourth chair. Katie Adams will have her usual segment in the middle of the show and again get to the YouTube questions at the end. Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land. And my name is Jake Lyman. I am your podcast host today. Again, a packed show. We've got men's basketball. We've got football. But first, we have to start with Will. We will not be pulling off the mic mounts anymore. You can see on the YouTube channel, these are set and they're ready to go from now on. Actually, we interrupt this pro this uh, podcast for a special announcement. Mr. Jake Lyman is the initial winner recipient of the Tech Sideline Endowed Scholarship for Sports Journalism at Virginia Tech. So congratulations. Thank you. Well, yeah. it's all you guys uh, giving me this opportunity. Uh, you know, I said to Corey Van Dyke on Twitter last night that Tech Talk Live Notes finally paid off. So <laughs> all those years. So uh, if, if you're not familiar with the story, we uh, Tech Sideline Endowed a Scholarship in the Sports Media and Analytics Program. It's actually in the Department of Communications. And it is a scholarship that is intended for sports journalism majors currently in the SMA program. You know, it may be renamed something later. Who knows? Uh, we, we announced that in the summer of 2018, and that requires a $100,000 donation over for us five years. So we're donating $20,000 a year. We've been doing that since, I think, August of 2018. Um, and once the full $100,000 is in, then the scholarship is fully endowed. And what 
I'm explaining the basics of it for people that don't know how this works. So that $100,000 sits there and there are earnings and interest on it. However, it, whoever's in charge of investing it or, or whatever, and it earns, you know, it, typically endowments are invested conservatively. They, they don't get risky with them. So even though the stock market's up 20% this year, that's not what happens with college <laughs> endowments. Most are much more careful. So that, that'll result in, uh, let's say, somewhere between $2,500 and $5,000 a year being awarded in scholarships to students. It doesn't have to be a student. It can be students, plural, in the uh, SMA program. So we've been at it long enough. And, and oh, by the way, anybody else can donate to this as well. We've, we're at the point where we've put in, I believe, 66000 of our 100000 And other people have donated um, $4,000, at least, that I know of. So that is in addition to our $100,000. Right. The 100000 is is not the limit. It can go up at any point above. It goes high as you want it to. Yeah, it's just the minimum to call it an endowed scholarship. So we've finally been doing this long enough, and it's earned a little bit of money. So so that's finally been awarded, and and you are the guy. Now, this does not mean that it goes to the Tech Sideline podcast host. (laughs) You know, Jake has a body of work that uh, that is impressive. um, you've done you up uh, for the St. Cloud Rocks. You did yes. uh, baseball play by play all summer, right? Yep, yep. Seventy-two games in eighty days. It was a, a lot of work. And you have done uh, you've done play by play for ACC Network Extra yep. events. How many of those would you say you've done? Uh, I did more last spring because of all the, the all the fall sports coming back. So I I say I did five or six last semester, yeah. and I've I've only done one this year. But hoping for more next spring. So well, what have you done so far this year? Uh, this year I did uh, the women's soccer game against NC State earlier yeah. this year. And did Emily do it with you? No, Emily no, was because playing. she was playing. She was playing. <laughs> yes, she had an assist it it on the game-winning goal. So they didn't mic her up and have her. T- no, <laughs> I did two it. games with Emily last spring, though, which was was cool. Actually, really only one. We started the second game and a lightning delay for six hours, so they just called it oh, and sent gosh. us home. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, for us, I looked it up, and you have we have two hundred and forty-three pieces of work in our database that have your name <laughs> on them. A lot of Tech Talk Live notes. Appreciate and, those Tech Talk Live notes. Yeah. Yes, I guess those add up a lot. So yeah, for that, three that years. is the, the 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 student who does the Tech Talk Live notes is doing unglamorous work that is important and appreciated, <laughs> and it is a lot of work. Uh, and you've uh, you've also written some articles for us, and so. Jake's got a body of work here, folks. It's not just that he's a Tech Sideline podcaster. <laughs> By the way, so we Tech Sideline have no say in who the scholarship gets awarded oh. to. And it's interesting when I first started talking to Bill Roth and to uh, Bob Denton, who I believe was head of the communications department that, at that time at Virginia Tech. I think that was his title. Um, uh, that was explained to me. Yes, you donate the money and it's for sports journalism majors. But beyond that, you know, we don't have any say in the decision making. We just get told after it's over. And there's kind of a funny story. Um, I, I believe it was Bill. I don't think it was Corey Van Dyke. It was Bill that told me this. Bill called me up and he said, we need to talk about Jake and the scholarship. And I said, OK. And Bill said, I walked in the building this morning. There's a plaque on the wall for your scholarship <laughs> and Jake's name is on it. And I was like, and you didn't get told until then that Jake won it? And Bill's like, no, I had no idea until I saw it on the wall. Uh, yeah, I got a, I got a voicemail from Bill and Will yesterday like, hey, uh, we have something to talk to you about. I, Just I don't no look at what... the wall if you're in the building. <laughs> 
Well, it was very cool uh, yesterday to see that announcement. So I want to thank you guys and and all the opportunities you guys have given me. And uh, we'll have a good show today too. So So congratulations. So anyway, we were, yes, we need to talk about, (laughs) we have finally fulfilled a dream of mine, which is to mount these boom arms to the actual table here on the podcast set, as opposed to like clamping them on. You know, and so they are now screwed, glued, and tattooed into the table. They are not going anywhere. And it's, uh, thank yeah. goodness, because whenever one breaks, it just falls on me. It's always Chris. It's one. always Chris. Yes. Chris had hit the mic in his lap yesterday or uh, on Monday's Monday. episode. So, and lastly, this is, uh, me wearing what I call my accidental Duke shirt. Um, I bought this shirt probably two years ago. I was like, oh, that's a good looking shirt. I look good in it. And then I wore it. And somebody said, oh, are you a Duke fan? And I was like, uh, <laughs> it's a Duke shirt without the Duke logo. <laughs> Pretty much. And I was in, uh, I was doing some shopping in Charlotte, the outlet malls around Charlotte a couple of weeks ago, and I went into an Under Armour outlet, and they had a clearance rack of of polo shirts. They must have had 50 polo shirts that were WBU colors <laughs> with no logos on them, you know. So that's what it reminds me of. So anyway, uh, I wear this shirt on podcasts where we're previewing a Duke football or Duke basketball game. Other than that, I don't wear it. So yeah, you had a good tease on Monday for your accidental Duke shirt. If Just you're listening and see my accidental Duke shirt. Yes. And if you're listening uh, on one of the podcast platforms, make sure you check out the YouTube and you can see Will's accidental Duke, Duke shirt. It, it's something to be seen. We have uh, killed enough time. Let's get to the, we meeting. have, we're going to go to Duke on the second half of the show. I think let's talk about last night's men's basketball opener against Maine. Couldn't have gone much better for the Virginia Tech men's basketball team. Pulled away pretty early and never looked back. Uh, very efficient performance yes. on both sides, I think. Uh, you could nitpick uh, allowing a lot of offensive rebounds, but, I mean, if you think about it, Maine missed a lot of shots. And their offensive rebounding percentage was 33.3%. And for Virginia Tech rankings perspective, that puts them 164th in the country after one game, which – isn't as bad as kind of what it seemed like last night. I mean, yeah. The more shots you miss, the more opportunities you have for, for offensive rebounds. Um, so overall, I thought it was a good, very good performance. I thought Tech probably got a little bored a little bit in the second half and had one little stretch where I think they forced some shots a little too early in the shot clock uh, rather than doing a little more probing. But uh, that'll happen in games you're winning by 40 points. So overall, I was very pleased, and I thought Tech pretty much looked like what I thought they were going to look. Yeah, and and it was it was outstanding. There were a lot of students there. The the crowd, you know, I was driving up a half hour for the game, and there were people walking up the sidewalk, and that's always my barometer. If I'm there twenty to thirty minutes before the game starts, how much foot traffic is there on the sidewalk? And mm-hmm. and there was a lot last night, and, and the atmosphere was good. And I was kicking myself because they were playing Inner Sandman, and I was recording it with my phone. David recorded it. It's on Twitter. Did he get the whole, the whole acapella bit at the even end? Through, even through Naheem Aline's three-pointer. Yeah, yeah. He nice. has the Aline three, and then the students keep singing afterwards. Yeah. So go to uh, David, David Cunningham's Twitter. Twitter feed, The Real D Cunna, C-U-N-N-A. Or just go to Tech Sidelines Twitter, and he's linked in the in our bio. <laughs> so cool, I haven't watched that. Yeah, and the team gave the students a lot to cheer about early on. That, yeah. Those first five minutes, uh, up until Maine called the timeout, you got the back-to-back Naheem Aline threes, and then... The Justin Mutz alley-oop, alley-oop that pretty much great. brought the house down. Yeah, yeah. and uh, everything was just, like, extremely efficient. And it was kind of like you thought. Like, 
if you go out to guard those three-point shooters, then they were throwing it into Mutz and Aluma, and those guys were scoring on the inside. And it's just it's just a well-balanced offensive team all the way around, and they they look like they've got some some depth behind those guys too. There was a lot of room to operate in the interior in that first half because you know um, I keep wanting to call Maine Delaware, so so be advised. Uh, Maine didn't really know what to do. You know, they they went out to guard the three. They that left a lot of room open in the middle, particularly for Mutz and. At halftime, Virginia Tech had 46 points, mm-hmm. and at least 20 of them were in the paint. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've got the graphic somewhere, but it was a lot. And, yeah. and Tech had 18 assists, and as Drew Scott, GC Hokie, 34 points out on our boards, The getting 13 assists is like a key thing for basketball teams. Like your winning percentage goes way up if you break that 13 assists barrier. Yeah. So yeah. the Hokies had 18 last night, which was uh, indicative of good ball movement. Yeah. Well, and I looked at the at halftime. I didn't see the final stats, but I saw at halftime the assist-to-turnover ratios for the two teams. Tex was 5. It was 10 assists to 2 turnovers, and for Maine it was .3. They had 3 assists yeah. to 10 turnovers in the first half. And Tech only had, what, 5 turnovers total? Maybe I, I know that so. their first – I noticed this. Their first turnover came with about 3.5 minutes to go in the first half. I remember in Buzz Williams' very first game as Virginia Tech's coach, they didn't turn the ball over until, like, there were 7 minutes left in the game. Yeah, and I saw like from the very beginning, I was like, okay, this dude's a good coach, and this appears to be a team that's not going to turn the ball over very much. I mean, you got five guys that are that you know. I know Storm Murphy's new, and he's not necessarily used to playing with the guys around it, but they're all experienced in the same system, right. and there should be plenty of chemistry there. And you know, so I think lack of turnovers will be a strength of this team this year. And I think a main concern heading into the season was the defense possibly dropping off. Again, it was Maine, who I mentioned was a bottom 10 team in offensive uh, on Ken Palm in the offensive category, uh, but held them to about 30% shooting percentage, 19 turnovers, mm-hmm. and the two best players on Maine's uh, roster heading into the season shot a combined four for 25. Right, and they didn't have a single player in double figures. Wow. Yeah, so that is not a skilled team. Uh, they also only played nine games last year. So yes. that's basically a team that hasn't played basketball in two now, years. I thought they played hard. I thought they were a tough team, and I thought they played hard. But you're right, not not, not a lot of skill. Right, and, they, and their, their records over the last few years have been horrible. Right. They're, they're not a good team. Yeah, for, for context, Maine has not won double-digit games since 2013, haven't had a winning season since 2011, and are one of 45 Division One teams to never reach the NCAA tournament. Their, so. their, their men's coach is their former women's, women's coach. coach yes. like he was their longtime women's basketball coach, and they just – decided you know what we want you to coach men's basketball and the women's team wasn't that good either which is what makes (laughs) it even funnier so he's a longtime Maine employee he's definitely got tenure there yes Jim Weaver approves this no question um much greater challenge coming on Friday with Navy, who beat UVA last yes. night. And Navy went 15-3 and three last year. Ed DeChalis is their coach. Ed DeChalis, you've heard this name for so long. Like, if you go back as a Virginia Tech fan, he was one of the guys that was rumored to be taken over for, like, Ricky Stokes back in the day. Yeah. You know, and ended up being Seth Greenberg instead. And I believe De- DeChalis went to Penn State. He coached Penn State yeah. for a while, yeah. And, and now he's at Navy. And he's done a pretty good job at Navy. And like I said, 15-3 and three last year, 12-1 and one in the Patriot League. Start off this season winning at UVA, and UVA didn't score over the last three points over the last eight minutes of the game. Yeah. They had an eight and a half minute scoring drought at one point. Right, and those three points came with like twenty seconds left right. when it didn't even matter anymore. When Navy was up by ten, yeah, and and I believe I was only half listening because I was looking at the Tech sideline boards, but I believe the announcer said that's the first time Navy's beaten uh, a ranked opponent. 
since David Robinson. Since David Robinson, yeah, since was, David there. Robinson was there. Now it may be with the caveat of it being on the road, but I don't think so. That okay. was in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah. They 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 beat Syracuse in the NCAA tournament at the Carrier Dome. For some reason, the NCAA tournament was played in the Carrier Dome that year because Jim Beheim gets <clears> whatever he wants. People but, apparently find Jim Beheim really scary and do whatever he says. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Well, going on the quick tangent with UVA, a tough night for the ACC last night to start off the college basketball season. As uh, John Rothstein would say, losing by games is the epitome of brutality. <laughs> Georgia Tech lost to uh, Miami of Ohio. Pitt lost by 15 to the Citadel. They, uh, the Citadel led that game wire to wire. Yeah. Pitt never led. And, and, and according to Packer and Durham this morning, Pitt never really threatened either. So you got th- three ACC teams, including last year's ACC champion, yeah. losing by games to start their season. That's I mean, uh, it's tough. Can you imagine VMI coming into Castle Coliseum, leading from start to finish, and and you have never have any chance to win the game? That's because that's there, what there's the a, there's a did Ricky Stokes joke in it, there. Somewhere. Yeah, that might have happened <laughs> once or twice during the Ricky Stokes era. I don't know. I remember last year VMI was at least competitive when they came into Castle Coliseum, but it wasn't. You never felt threatened. You never felt like Tech was going to lose the game. Uh, Well, looking back at last night for the Hokies, I think, especially in the first half, the guy who impressed the most was Justin Mutz. He had that alley-oop dunk. It seemed like he went on a five-minute tear where he was the only guy scoring, uh, hit a three-pointer. Big game for Justin Mutz to open up the season. Uh, Mike Young called him the rubber band man after the game. He used the word slithery. Slithery is a good one. (laughs) He is pretty, I guess, elastic sometimes when he's going towards the basket. He's like he navigates traffic so well, and he can also step out and shoot it. He's an athletic guy. Yeah, he looks like a complete player. And when you actually watch him play, like I watched it a little bit specifically for this reason last night. He said before the season he wanted to be ACC Defensive Player of the Year or on the All Defensive Team or whatever. And I, I, you know, you could see him out there really focusing in on defense. So okay. he, he looks like a complete player this year. And Mutt's having a big game. It helps when Storm Murphy only had five points, two of seven. Yeah. Kevin Aluma, he had eight points, and it, it didn't seem like he played bad. He was just a little limited. Didn't yeah, play much in the second a half. A little back injury. He had a back brace on. And it was one of those special back braces that kept lighting up in the back. So I don't know if it's some kind of a electro thing where it's like massaging your back or doing mm, probably something like that. much much more than a than a brace um he only played 18 minutes but most of that was because of foul trouble yes I he think. got three uh, fouls quick right, right which and you know that's fine because that gives uh gives the other guys a chance for playing time it gets ogiaco in the game a little more it lets gasan and mutz play together because at some point this year they might have to um so yeah when, when you can score that many points and win that easily when you don't have your best games from I mean, most people would argue would be tech, your two best players, yes. Kevin Aluma and Storm Murphy. Right. You know, I think that's a good sign for this team that they have multiple scoring options because um, you, you're not going to have everybody on point every single night. So when Kevin Aluma has an off game, you know there's plenty of guys there to pick up the pieces. Yep. And David Gasson, huge game for him. He tied the lead uh, on the team in scoring with 15. Yeah. Seven of seven from the field for David Gasson. <laughs> it's a pretty efficient night. Yeah, you know, and Mutz, Mutz led him in all categories, points, rebounds, and assists. Yeah. Yes. I want to point that out. Yes. Yeah. Um, Gasson is kind of what we thought, what we'd been hearing. Um, apparently he's got a nickname on the team, Baby KG or something like that is what I've read somewhere. <laughs> hmm, okay. uh, yeah, and uh, – 
Just looks like a really impressive player. Looks like his strength has improved. He was attacking the basket confidently. And then kind of towards the end of the game, you'd been hearing he improved his three-point shooting, and boom, he got he, one he chance and he stepped into that confidently. He, assured, he sure did. So I'm not saying he's going to score 15 every night, but the skill set is there. Um, and you remember, the, he was a true freshman last year, and those true freshmen, they didn't get that full preseason in of like individual skill development like yeah. that you normally get w- with coaches. And so I, he really looks like he's developed a lot in the offseason, and it's just really becoming more and more obvious that Virginia Tech has a great basketball program for player development right now, if, if you, if you, especially with their bigs, like how much Keve Aluma, Mutz, and now Gasson have improved since the day they first enrolled in college, whether that was at High Point in the case of Mutz, Wofford in the case of Aluma, or, or here at Tech yeah. with, with Gasson. They've all improved tremendously. Well, David Gasson, we saw flashes from him last year. He had back-to-back games against, I want to say, Wake and Syracuse, mm-hmm. where he scored 23 points, was 9 of 10 shooting, and it seems like maybe he can put that together yeah. a little bit more this year if he gets more minutes. Yeah, the skill set's all has always been there, and he's certainly going to get more minutes this year. We didn't see him any at the three spot last night that I can remember. Uh, you probably will at some point this season, whether it's matchup dependent or whether it's because somebody gets in foul trouble. Um, but I, I think it's evident. Like uh, I think if there, if there's maybe like a future NBA player on this team, it might be Gasson. Hmm. more than anybody else. I, mean, I think he's he's further ahead from a skill standpoint at the same stage than Keve Aluma was. Clearly. Wow. Not even close actually. From just from a, I'm not saying yeah. he's going to be Keve Aluma or maybe he will, but for, at the same stage he's more skilled. Yes, Kevin Luman in his second season was still at Wofford, I and believe, probably and, still a backup. Yes, right. and he he averaged on 4 points, points 5 yeah. points per game, so uh, I want to look at John Ogiaco too. Right. A huge game for him. Nine points. He had just two all of last season. It just looked like he was more comfortable out there. It looked like he had turned from an athlete into a real basketball player. He's a he was raw coming in. And you know, Mike Young said on Tech Talk Live this week that he learned a long time ago. It takes longer to develop bigs. It's just they're just harder to develop and they're more late bloomers. And Ogiaco came in raw. It hurt him last year that, you know, like the other guys, he didn't get that individual skills training in the offseason. And then he was hurt, too. So he didn't – it was just not a good season of development for him because of all those things. But he had a full offseason this year, and he was healthy, and he looks like a much better player. He's improved his body, as have a lot of guys on the team. Yeah. Um, and I thought there were a few times where they fed him the ball in the post, and, and you could tell that he'd been working on his offensive game. He was decisive, yeah. I think his limiting factor last night was his hands. There were a few times where the ball was in his area and he wasn't able to secure it. Yeah. Wasn't able, after making the move, to get off a clean shot, I thought, where he really, really, really had the ball under control. But uh, definitely big improvement. So, so some stats, uh, we threw out the number of turnovers. Tech actually wound up with eight turnovers. Oh, did Didn't feel like okay. that. Didn't feel like it. Um, and another stat for me to keep an eye on is the Hokies only took five free throws and Maine only took three. Wow. Um, Eight free throws in the entire game. Yeah. And, and so, you know, those numbers will change throughout, uh, throughout the season, um, as, as the competition gets more athletic, you know, and as maybe as tech gets more aggressive on offense, but, um, the reason that stuff matters to me is in the second half, unlike football games, the students stay around in the second half of a basketball game. They handed out the noodles and everything last night, and, and that's when the opposition shoots in front of the student section. And I do not think bacon was on the line last night. I didn't hear any bacon. Uh, okay. Katie, did it, do you know, was bacon on the line last night? 
<laughs> it was not. It not was to not. my knowledge. Yeah. There was I feel the like they saved that for like Duke games. Now Smithfield's still games. a sponsor because I saw their signage. They had the Smithfield sizzle uh, with the they find the best dancer in the crowd well, still. Right. What was it? Free bacon for for a year. Missing two. Oh, free oh for oh for the yeah back to back free throws. Okay. If if the opposition misses back to back free throws, um, I think it's in the second half. Mm-hmm. In the second half, yeah. it has to be on the same trip too. It can't be. One guy One, misses the back end, yeah. the next guy misses the front end. So yeah. like but, they, they hand out vouchers for bacon. So so if it happens so, in a game you're at as you're leaving, there's people standing there at the door giving you. A, my question is like exactly what do they consider a year's worth of bacon? Because I well, it's bacon not a year's worth. Every that's for the Smithfield day. sizzle. Okay. Uh, the people who are dancing when they put them on the, the big the, screen and they yeah, find the, the, the winner. Free, uh, the free throw thing. Free. Is just thing one pack is okay. a voucher a for voucher. a package okay. of bacon. Okay. Right. But the other it. thing is for free bacon for a year. Yes. I think right. it's what is one, free bacon. I think for it's a year. one pack of bacon a week. I think it's fifty two. <laughs> it's not quite <laughs> enough. <laughs> that is enough bacon, man. Trust me. I do have to say the students get really into the bacon yeah. for the missed free throws. I went to every game as a freshman, and I think we probably got bacon three times. I never used it. It's just what it, you it's just cheer for it. You just cheer for it. <laughs> and now the TV announcers are clued into it. But uh, so shout out to my daughter for staying the whole game. I can see her <laughs> way across the Coliseum. Right, well, if anybody gets free bacon vouchers this year and they're not going to use them, I will take them. So right. I buy a lot of bacon. All right. Yeah, like just Chris is a fit dude, there. but it's all about the protein and the exactly. fat. Chris avoids sugar. He doesn't right. care about the protein. Oh yeah, that's fat. fine. No, that's fine. You can work that off. So uh, lots of bacon. Yes. So bacon not online there. I think it may be just an ACC games thing. So uh, maybe right. we'll see that uh, when Wake comes to town next month. We've talked a lot about guys returning and growing. Let's talk about some of the newcomers. Mention Storm Murphy. Only five points, but man, those five points were flashy. He got the crowd on their feet. Uh, a step back two yeah. from just inside the three-point line and then a buzzer beater three that he banked in at the end of the first half. So uh some highlight plays for Storm Murphy at the very end. And that might be like his worst offensive game of the year. He's a much better player than than his stats line shows last night. Uh, he's going to have some games where he goes off this year. But um, I, I bet there's not another game this year where he scores you know five points or fewer. That's that's my opinion. Didn't he actually have two step-back opportunities? He, he did, no, he did first several point. times. He's yeah. got a really quick first step when it looks like he's driving to the basket and he steps back really quickly and can create space for himself. Somebody's going to fall on their butt. They're not just going to. First guy almost did. <laughs> I, I, I was watching some of his highlights from Wofford the other day that he had pinned on his Twitter account. And he actually nutmegged some dude. Uh, uh, and like, like a soccer nutmeg. Literally, yes. like he dribbled it between the defender's legs, went by him, and then threw it off to somebody on the side for a, for a dunk. It was, and and it was I watched insane. the defender the defender in the background just turn around and watch. Yeah, he didn't even play like, catch What in up. the world just happened to me? Yeah. <laughs> Well, he it did seem overall, even though Murphy wasn't scoring, he just brought a different element than, not to say bad things about Wabisa Beatty, but it just seemed like the offense was much more dynamic with sure. Murphy running the show. I definitely think so. Um, the familiarity. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Wabisa Beatty spent two years in Mike Young's offense. And, uh, you know, even when Mike Young coached Storm Murphy his first two years at Wofford, but even after Mike Young left, their offense didn't change all that much. So there's just a familiarity that, that was there and plus he's he's better suited to 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 it than will be sabidi was anyway but like i think mike young was very glad to inherit will be sabidi from a leadership standpoint and a defensive standpoint but i don't think mike young would have recruited will be sabidi out of high school because he doesn't fit the system so to speak Behind Murphy, Sean Padula, true freshman coming from Oklahoma, he looked solid. Uh, maybe 
more comfortable than you would think a true freshman yeah, I, would look. A yeah. couple of turnovers there, though. I think he did okay. Um, you, you can see how they're similar players. If the alley-oop from him to Hunter Couture had come off, that would have brought the house down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and you got to pay attention because they're, they're very similar-sized guys. They both have single-digit numbers. Like when Padula came in, I didn't expect him to come in that early. It was fairly early no, yeah, in the he first came- half. Probably under twelve. Probably under twelve. Okay. Yeah. So I did. So I did a little bit of a double clutch. I'm like, oh, Padula's in there. The, the the question I have is, you know, when Virginia Tech plays tougher competition, who will get the majority of the backup point guard minutes? Will it be Hunter Couture or or will it be Padula? Um, I think early on it'll probably be Couture yeah. if I had to guess. Like I don't like Padula played eleven minutes last night. It seemed like more, but it turned out to be eleven. And I don't think they'll play him eleven minutes. At Navy in his first road game, unless Virginia Tech is just steamrolling them, and 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 the, the outcome of the game isn't in doubt. Um, but as the season progresses and he progresses as a player, you know that could change later in the year. But I would think early, early in the season, particularly in the games where Virginia Tech is playing very tough competition, I, I think Couture will probably get the lion's share of the backup point guard minutes, and you know you'll see Darius Maddox a, a little more on the wing. Hunter Couture, quiet game for him, but I know Will will love. He did take a charge. Take a charge. Uh, David tweeted out. Uh, David Cunningham tweeted out. Uh, Hunter Couture charge alert number one we, on the. We've got to have some kind of graphic for that. I think we. It do. needs to be updated on the podcast every week. <laughs> See, Malcolm's going to lose his title. There's certain things I'm looking for from him, and he's not delivering. And a Hunter Couture charge count is is. Is one of them. We should, um, we should just get a whiteboard or something right here and then just sure. put tally marks have, yeah, every yeah, time. Does every place always be red shirting? Yeah. You know, <laughs> we have to talk about Hunter Couture drawing a charge in every podcast. <laughs> I think every time he takes a charge, I will bring it up on the podcast. I'm just glad so. he didn't have to draw it from that number five, dude. That, that, dude, dude, was, that, that dude was a tank. built more like a linebacker than yeah. a basketball player. I called the game for 3304 last night, and I, I texted Andy Losey, who was calling the game with me, a picture of that guy. And I was like <laughs> – we need him to play on our football team. Yeah, this really guy do. is huge. Yep. Yeah. Uh, mentioned John Ogiaco. He got a lot of the backup five minutes. Lynn Kidd only came in at the very end, mm-hmm. so it seems like we, we kind of see where the hierarchy stands uh, there. Yeah, and what I heard about, they're kind of like polar opposites players. Like Ogiaco was came in very raw offensively, but he was a guy that could provide you good defensive minutes and some good rebounding immediately. Kid's kind of the other way around. I think he's a pretty advanced offensive player, but what they, from what they say, but he's well behind other bigs from a defensive standpoint at the same stage as far as like switching off screens and and things like that. So he's got some work to do there, but I think the the natural athletic ability is there. So he could potentially get more playing time if he improves defensively. Um, but right now, like I'll go ahead and say the word right now. I I could redshirt that dude and be fine because you know, I, don't, I don't know if they'll I'm sure they'll need him at some point but but like if they did feel like they could get by with redshirting him i'd be fine with it because then he'd be like a double redshirt freshman because remember last year didn't count and then the rule in college basketball is 30 percent of the games you can play in up to 30 percent of the games i'm not certain on that but probably something yeah, like that if anybody in the youtube chat knows chime in and or, or look it up i think back in the day it used to be like a straight up five games right i don't know what it is now so um, there, there you go. He could be in his third season and be a redshirt freshman at that point. Sounds ideal. So the points per minute winner is uh, John Ogiaco, 12 minutes, nine points. Hmm. There you go. And okay. How many uh, minutes did Gasson have? Uh, 18. Hmm. And it's interesting, Dar- Darius Maddox played more than that. Darius Maddox played 19 minutes. Yeah. Well, Tech doesn't have as much depth on the wing. Yeah. 
So tell me, uh, pop quiz, who played the most minutes for Virginia Tech? Oh, uh, Couture. Couture played 31. Aline played 29. Murphy played uh, 25. Aline yeah. would have been my guess. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, Couture was in there at the end of the game. Like, Tech has four backups. They have the two walk-ons. They have Lynn Kidd, and they have Jalen uh, – Jalen Haynes. Jalen Haynes at the end of the game. So you need one of your five re- regular rotation players to be out there with them. So he so, pulled ahead. So at the it was end Couture. So he pulled ahead over the last two minutes of the game. Yep. And Mutz played twenty three minutes. So fifteen points in twenty three minutes is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mutz didn't play much in the entire second half. So yeah. that's really ideal for games like this. Save, yeah. save the wear and tear. And Jalen Haynes, want to mention, he is listed as the heaviest player on Virginia Tech's roster already as a freshman. I believe it. So. Six foot eight, I want to say two fifty for Jalen Haynes. A lot of it's in the hiney, man. He's he's going to be one of those dudes that, uh, you know, three years from now or two years from now, Mike Young will be saying, "Oh, David Jackson did a great job with him changing his body throughout the years." Which, I mean, if you look at Aluma when he was a freshman at Wofford, he's he's probably not not much difference from a weight standpoint, but he's really redistributed that way. I would say. So Virginia Tech wins against Maine, 82-47, the final score. Now Navy coming up, and again, Navy just beat Virginia in Charlottesville. This I, is not going to be easy for the Hokies. I think that's great because, all right, at first glance, oh, it's Navy. We're an ACC team. It's a military school. We're going to smoke them in basketball, right? But they went 15-3 and last year, and now you can look at Tech's players and say, all right, we're about to go play a road game against a team that's going to be really excited their first home game with fans in two years, like everybody else, yeah. and they just went to UVA and won. Right, right. It's it's that's not. I think that was UVA's first season opening loss in what nine or ten years or something like wow. that. And I mean, they just don't lose in in Charlottesville uh, very often. But Navy did it, so I think that if you're Mike Young, that's the best possible outcome. Last night, Virginia Tech won, and then UVA lost, and UVA lost to the team Tech is playing next. So you can deliver that message to to the players. So I, I feel like Tech, if Tech loses on Friday, it won't be because they weren't warned in advance. So I I really like the results of last night's game, and I'm ex- I'm really excited to play Navy because it'll be uh, an early road test. I'm gonna tell it Tech Tech will play in ACC atmospheres this year that aren't as good as probably the one they'll face on Friday night. Well, so that game is Friday night, 8.30, and it's on CBS Sports Network. CBS Sports yep. Network. So. David Cunningham will be up there. I believe yeah. he left today to head up he to did. Maryland. So. He's, he's visiting family on the Eastern Shore. Then he's going to drive up to Navy to uh, work the game and then drive back to work the uh, Duke game the next day. Sweet. So David will have an article. I believe he said he's coming out with a Navy preview later this week, too. So he'll have a preview out and a recap this weekend uh, for Navy. Want to talk about the women's win yesterday as well. It was a doubleheader in Castle Coliseum. Women's basketball gets a win against Davidson. Elizabeth Kitley only went 3 of 11 from the floor, but really? Asia Shepard led the way. 25 points, 7 of 10 from three-point range. I mean, it's the same thing for the women's team as a men's team. You've got multiple scoring options, even some off the bench. So if one one of the good players has an off night, there's plenty of people there to pick up the slack. And they've got a transfer at a good game. Kiana Trailer uh, from Purdue. I want to say she had 18 points off the bench. Right. Something like that. So yeah. and she was a starter at Purdue. She and was that, their leading scorer right, last right. year. Right. So so transfer to Virginia Tech, knowing that she was going to play a backup role. And you can't imagine how that makes Kenny Brooks feel. I'm sure when you can bring a starting caliber player like that off the bench and score 18 points. That's a nice luxury. Yeah, it is. Having Shepard as well as Trailer and then Kayla King, too, I want to say they combined to hit 
14 threes last night, maybe even 15. So uh, a lot of shooting for Kenny Brooks squad. Yeah, Asia Shepard, they moved the three-point line back for the woman. It's now universal. Again? It's the same as the men's. Wow. Uh, wow. If you notice last night, there is no longer two uh, three-point lines not in Castle Coliseum. Wow. I could see how that could get, like, if, if, you got, if you're a player and you got your – you glance down at the lines and try to get your feet set and everything. And, and, and the women have just gotten better and better over the years. And, and the, the, ball the ball is smaller. slightly smaller. Yes. Right? The yeah. women's ball is smaller. So it, honestly, it does make sense to make it a universal. If the ball is smaller for women, I think it's, it makes sense. Well, Asia Shepard had no issue with the back with the further back three point line. Again, seven of 10 from three point range, mm-hmm. 25 points. She is continuing to grow her lead as Virginia Tech's all time leading three point shooter. Um, before we move on to football, it is the early signing period open today, and all three of Virginia Tech's men's basketball commits and both of the women's basketball commits have all signed today. So uh, a good start for both of those programs. Rodney Rice, obviously, the big name out of those five. Yeah, Rodney Rice, who went to DeMatha, coached by Mike Jones. Um, that was a big get for Virginia Tech on the recruiting trail, top 100 player like that. And it's three players signed today, and I expect Tech will sign one more player in the spring, maybe more depending on attrition. MJ Collins and Patrick Wessler, the other two for Mike Young. And the men's basketball program, Carly Wenzel and Charlize Dunn for the women's, women's basketball, basketball team. Yeah. So, and, and Kenny Brooks did not bring in any freshman this year. There is not a true freshman on that roster right now. So uh, some Very, good. That's an experienced team then. Yeah. So bringing in some youth. I believe Wenzel may be a top 50 player in the country. So Don is from Australia. So it adds to the Australian pipeline for Tech women's basketball. Well, and for da- Davidson last night had five Australian players on their team. Wow. So, uh, second to only the University of Portland who has seven wow. uh, Australian You're players kidding. on their team. So Jake uh, bringing the minutia. And yeah. Katie's over there scratching it. Oh, there goes that bit of trick. <laughs> well, let's send it on over to Katie. What do you got today? Well, I'm not sure how entertaining I'm going to be with the circumstances of non-conference basketball on a Duke football preview, but I'll try my best. First, Will, you are correct about that basketball redshirt rule. It's you can't compete in more than 30% of games okay. um, obtaining that redshirt. Um, then moving on to football, we have senior day this weekend and a pretty decent record at that. Since 2000, we're 17-4 and four on senior day. Justin Fuente has won every senior day game in his tenure, but we have never played Duke on a senior day ever in history, which that'll be a first. We obviously play UVA every other year on senior day, and then the past couple years it's been Pitt. Um, but first game with Duke, and then I want to talk about a winning streak that I was not made aware of until like yesterday when I was reading the game notes that we at one point had a 12-game winning streak against Duke in football, which I want to ask you guys about that because – when it ended in 2012, I was 11 years old and yeah. I didn't really care. But, I mean, was this talked about like the UVA streak was? No, because no. Duke was just historically so bad at football. Yeah. And I remember some years there, like when Tech first joined the ACC, where, I mean, Duke was just atrocious. I mean, I remember they came into Tech in 2008, and Tech was horrible offensively, so this was a terrible game. I think the final score was like, Seven to three, Will? Something of that game. I'm, I'm, Tech, I'm, I think I'm, I think Tech beat Duke seven to three in two thousand eight. I'm, l- I'm looking it up. Their quarterback was so horrible. I think he threw four interceptions. I mean, they were just talentless. So yes, it was a long streak there, um, but it was like nothing necessarily to be proud of because Duke was so awful. So there's a if, if you guys haven't heard of it, there's a cool website called Winsipedia. Win W I N S I Pedia. 
and you can look up the history of any matchup, you know, between a couple of schools and you can get wins. You can get directly there. If you just like, I just Googled Duke, Virginia tech, Winsipedia. So it takes you directly to the, the list of games page. And so for me, this goes way back because back when I was a student, well, really back in the early eighties, tech and Duke used to play all the time. They played from 1981 through 1984. And one of the more memorable games, this is interesting, they played in Blacksburg two years in a row. They played in, in at Duke the first two years and then Blacksburg the next two years. And so my freshman year, which was Bruce Smith's junior year when he had 22 sacks, the, the big thing was Duke had a quarterback named Ben Bennett who was a really good quarterback. Uh, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I think Ben Bennett had like close to 10,000 yards passing in his career. Wow. He was a good quarterback. So it was a big matchup, and Bruce sacked him four times. Um, So uh, 81 through 84, Duke won the first one in 1981. And then the 12-game winning streak, which was a little bit in the 80s, and then it resumed in 2004. Uh, Duke was the very first ACC football game that Virginia Tech ever had. That's right. Yeah. Um, And that one came out 41 to 17. Um, Richard Johnson threw a touchdown pass. Wow. Yeah. Um, but you don't so that. then there was, and, and Chris, I know you remember this one, what finally broke that string, which was 31 or 32 years, 12 games over 31, 32 years, was the 13 to 10 game. Yeah, Logan Thomas threw four interceptions that night. And the Duke quarterback also threw four interceptions yeah. that night. And it was really interesting. I think Logan's, <laughs> I think Logan's yeah. were in the red zone, some of them. And that, that I, really I honestly hurt. don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think the 2008 game was 7-3. to three. You still have the oh, page Oh, sorry, I was up. supposed to look That's that up. That's the main thing you pulled that page up for. 14-3. For. to 14-3, yeah. I'm sorry. Was that yeah. the one that was really cold? It was like 25 degrees. It was horrible. Yeah, yeah. man, that was miserable. I have huge piles of snow inside lane inside lane stadium. Yeah, not fun. I believe high of forty eight on Saturday, fifty somewhere. I'm in there. a little bit disappointed because it's in the sixties all week, and as soon as game day gets here, it's, it's been it's really close. nice in Blacksburg the last couple of days yeah. for the second week of November, but not so much on game day. But I guess it could be worse. Some of these November games get down to twenties and thirties. So. so we hijacked you, Katie. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. No worries. So that UVA streak was fifteen. Heartbreak. Um, so the Duke streak was twelve. I guess you would have to assume that that's the second longest win streak that we've ever had. I couldn't find the information on it, but to y'all's knowledge, is there another team that we had beaten that many years in a row? Or I mean, like nobody not even, major, not even William and Mary or Richmond or anybody like that. We even played, yeah. yeah, yeah, because we haven't played those teams like all that often. And if you go back fifteen games or whatever into those series. They were competitive. They, they were they were Division One, and we were on the same level yeah. back then. So I, I can't imagine there any being anybody else with streaks that. Yeah, long. like not not Wake Forest. Wake Forest would be one to look up. Yeah, I just had no idea that there was even a streak that rivaled the UVA numbers. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but Duke, Duke was horrible. Duke does not have a single player from Virginia on the roster, which I also think is very interesting. That is odd. It That's, being a neighboring state. And, that you know. can't happen very often. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I know. A few years ago, they they signed like two guys from Virginia that were really, really, really like highly rated in the state of Virginia. Wide like receiver, right? Scott Bracey from Richmond. I think Birmingham tied in was from Northern Virginia. And they both went to Duke and pretty much did nothing. Wow. Um, which that, and that's where that's really when I started looking at Virginia talent and I'm thinking, are some of these Virginia kids as good as they used to be? Like here's a top five receiver in the state, went to Duke and like, he never played. And same thing for the tight end, who was like a top ten player, yeah. couldn't get even get, get in the two deep at Duke, yeah, you know. But yeah, that, that's a couple of things I remember how I was like, 
man, why aren't those players coming here? And then they got to Duke and did nothing. And I'm like, well, okay, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and then our weekly Scott Glessner stat, um, he wrote in the chat that Virginia Tech is better all time at Wallace Wade Stadium than we are at Lane Stadium by a very small margin, of course. We're 9-2 and two at Duke and 8-3 and three at Lane. So maybe they'll even out and we'll be 9-4 and four at Lane. But we'll I, I was reading random Steve Spurrier quotes the other day and he had a got off a couple of good comments and he said i think i think i've coached in more games in neyland stadium than some of tennessee's coaches through the years and he said something he said something else like uh mac brown was complaining about him sometime and, and something about something and he said well i've got a better better record in keenan stadium than mac brown does or something, <laughs> or something like that uh anyway yeah so yes virginia tech has an outstanding record in durham i've had some you know good times at tech do yeah. games down there I believe Tech's lost three of the last four at home against in Duke. Blacksburg. So. Yes, yes, and that that includes you know forty five to ten, and then all right, so the twenty thirteen game was obviously the interception fest. Twenty fifteen was like an overtime game, wasn't that like a triple or quadruple overtime? Yeah, game? that was forty five forty three in twenty fifteen. No, the rain game was the game Tech won. That's the only one they're running one. together. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the last four home games are uh, Virginia Tech lost thirteen to ten, lost forty five to forty three, won twenty four to three, and lost forty five to ten. So, I guess the twenty four to three was the rain game. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that was four years ago. Wow. Yep. Okay. Long time. That's it for me. Okay. Thank well, thank you, Katie. We're going to take our break here, and we'll get more into football on the other side, previewing Duke. Just went through men's basketball's win over Maine last night. We're going to take a break. Stay with us here on episode 207 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back on episode 207 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Usual crew on set, I'm Jake Lyman, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Katie Adams, and Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. Make sure if you are watching on YouTube Live, drop a comment or question in the chat. Katie will get those to Will and Chris at the end of the show. Also, if you're on YouTube, be sure to like Comment and subscribe to the Tech Sideline YouTube channel. We've already gone through Virginia Tech's win over Maine in men's basketball last night, and now it's time to preview the football team's last home game of the season, facing off with the Duke Blue Devils in Lane Stadium on Saturday. Guys, this is a Duke team that is just not very good. They're 3-6. and six. They won three straight games early in the year, and uh, North Carolina A&T, Northwestern, and Kansas but since then have lost five consecutive ACC games. Yeah, and they started off the season with a loss to Charlotte. Yes. Um, yeah, those other wins, of course, they're going to beat North Carolina A&T. Northwestern had like five or six turnovers in that game, just handed the ball right, handed the game right to Duke, and Kansas is Kansas. Yeah. Um, just not only have they not won in the ACC, but they, they got outside of the Georgia Tech game, they haven't been competitive either. Um, just getting trounced yeah. every single week. Yeah, Georgia Tech, the only close game in the ACC, 31-27 loss. UNC, UVA, and Wake, Duke was outscored 121-14 to in those games. It's not great. Mm, not good. I mean, I mean, think about it. Like, UVA's defense is atrocious. They gave up 66 Horrible. points to BYU. Yeah, exactly. They're terrible. And Duke couldn't score yep. on them. And Duke has the number five running back in the country in yards per game, and they still couldn't score on UVA's defense. So uh, there's something wrong with that football program right now. You've got to think the Cutcliffe era is almost over. Um, yeah. He's 67 years old. He's done a great job there. But, you know, it was 
always doubtful whether they would be able to sustain it uh, long term. But uh, he's built them up into something. He, you know, I know his tenure's not going to end like they had hoped once hoped, but they're certainly a stronger program than the one he inherited. But this year. It is a rough product they've got on the field this year. No, it's so not he, been very he's good. been there since 2008. Yep, um, and has a record of 77 and 94, which is really good for Duke. Yeah, and and that includes a, a coastal championship in 2013. And I guess they got who's that would have been Florida State that smoked them in the ACC championship game that that year. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we know the coastal went seven for seven over seven years. Every team winning the coastal one time. So. Right. Yeah, so he went uh, 27 and 13 from 2013 to 2015. Wow. So other than that, he's 50 and 81. You know, in a program like Duke, you know, you have to somewhat luck into some of your three-star guys turning into Jamison Crowders. Yeah. Or um, your walk-on turning into first-round pick Daniel Jones. Right. Yeah. Um. So that you can't. There's. It's going to be very difficult. To, it would be difficult to sustain that over time at a program like Duke. Sort of like uh, you know, Jim Grobe had those two or three really good recruiting classes and it turned out to be a first round pick was a former two star linebacker and a second round pick. I mean, that defense had like three or four guys drafted and they were all like two star recruits talking about the Wake Forest team in the late, yeah, in in the late 2000, like 2006. Yeah. And Grobe was a good coach and everything, but, uh, but something when you're Duke or awake and you get a group of players like that, yeah, he had Aaron it's Curry good. and Jonathan Abadi, who right, right. great college linebacker. Well, Abadi was before these guys. Okay. I'm talking about the 2016. Yeah, Abadi was like 2004. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, at any rate, hard to sustain that over time if you're Duke, I think. Well, and Duke coming off a 54-29 loss to Pitt. That was a game they were at least competitive in early, but Pitt seems to put up a lot of points on everybody. They seem to put up a lot of points. I mean – in hindsight, Virginia Tech's defensive performance against Pitt was good. This is important to me. Abadi actually did play for them in 2007. Oh, did he really? How <laughs> yep. about that? He was signed as a free agent by the Texans in 2007. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So they had like five or six NFL players on that defense, including a, wow. a first-round pick, a second-round pick. Josh Gaddis, who's the current offensive coordinator at Michigan and has right. coached at Alabama under Nick Saban, he, was, he started on that defense. I think he was like a fifth-round pick. Wow. Um, yeah, so uh, – now, I'm starting to feel old because dudes who I watched around the time when I was in college are now getting offensive coordinator and head coaching jobs and things They're like that. They're married and have like three and four kids <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, looking at this game, out of the final three games on the Hokie schedule, with or without Braxton Burmeister, this seems to be the one that they feel like they can probably win the most. I mean, I would think so. I mean, you never know what Miami team's going to show up, but... I, I, if they can't beat Duke, it'd be really hard for them to win any of those, either one of those last two. Although we don't know the status of Brennan Armstrong at right. UVA, and I imagine UVA'd be pretty darn bad without him. I think so. What what little bit I've seen the backup quarterback play, you know, right. I, I saw him some against BYU. Like basically, UVA has to score like fifty points to win. Or against BYU, they have to score 67 points to win. Yes. Really, uh, yeah. well, so, and, and UVA's got all of those Taysom Hill-like court, like Keaton Thompson, who is a quarterback technically. Technically, but number he's, 99. He's yeah, a right. tight end, so he could play that role too. So Yeah, um, Duke. could be a really interesting game. You know, Duke, Duke, hasn't, Duke hasn't been good offensively or defensively. And I was trying to, like even in like the F slash plus ratings, like which combines the S&P plus metrics with the FEI metrics, 
they're like 98th on offense and 98th in defense. So I really had to dig down to figure out what was worse. What I figured out is their defense is worse. Their offense does move the football. Like, they're middle of the pack and, like, yeah. available yards gain. I mean, they got the fifth leading rusher in the country in Mateo Durant. Yeah. Grant Holmberg completes 70% of his passes. Gunner Holmberg. Gunner Holmberg, sorry. What did I call him? Grant. Grant. Uh, okay, so that's weird. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that. <laughs> and it's uh, Gunnar with an A. Gunnar. Gunnar Holmberg. Um, at any rate, their red zone offense is terrible. Like, they, they, they're one of the worst in the country at touchdown percentage, overall scoring percentage in the red zone. All of that stuff. Um, so they're very, they they will bend your defense, but they won't break it. <laughs> no, the Virginia Tech defense is like the is on the other hand is like not good red zone defense. So when when you watch the red zone situations this weekend when Duke has the ball, that's something yeah, to keep your eye on. Something's got to give. Something's got to give there. Right, yeah, I, I called it. Chris and I were talking about it, and I called it the. Uh, Irresistible force, the, the resistible no, force meeting the movable object. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 12 touchdowns, 28 attempts uh, yes. in the red zone for Duke this season. Uh, but again, you mentioned Mateo Durant. He seems to be the strength of this team, kind of similar to when we talked about Syracuse earlier this year. Uh-huh. Uh, he's been the one of the only, if not the only, bright spot for Duke on the season. Really, really good player. Um 210 carries, 1,062 yards, 5.1 yards per carry, nine touchdowns, 118 yards per game, which is fifth in the country. So also their third leading receiver with 23 catches uh, with a long reception of 53 yards. I mean, he's a guy who can hurt you in the passing game, hurt you in the running game. Uh, you know, they, they don't really have, like, their backup running backs don't get very many carries. So it's basically the Mateo Durant show. I think in one game this year he had, like, 43 carries, and, wow. and which is – He's 6'1", 195, which is kind of skinny for a running back, so it's a little bit surprising that, that he could carry it 40-plus times. But uh, th- that's that's really – well, besides the health status of Braxton Burmeister and Trey Turner, Durant's the most concerning guy in this game because Virginia Tech cannot stop the running game. Yeah. So if you're Duke, like, yeah, I mean, you – if you're willing to give Durant 43 carries against somebody else earlier this year, you ought to be willing to give him 43 carries against Virginia Tech this weekend. Durant has over 100 scrimmage yards in every game against Power 5 opponents except for against Virginia. Which is uh, shocking considering they can't play defense. What the heck happened to Duke he, that day? He That's only had 17 game. carries in that game. So yeah. I believe that was his lowest total of the season. When you get down by 40 points, you stop running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At quarterback, we mentioned Gunner or Gunnar Holmberg. Uh, uh, he has not just Grant. <laughs> not Grant, not not Grant Holmberg under center. Uh, seven touchdowns, six interceptions. So he takes care of the ball. You mentioned in your preview, Chris, really high completion percentage. Uh, just doesn't make a ton of plays. Yeah, um, I mean, high completion percentage, almost seventy percent. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, his yards per attempt is is middle of the pack. So he's not great there, but he's not bad either. It's just for whatever reason, and I, I don't know why. I, I, Duke's one of like – Duke might be the only ACC team at this point that I haven't seen play this year. So I can't put my finger on why it is because, you know, they've got, you know, Jake Bobo at wide receiver, 59 catches. Uh, they just get in the red zone and bog down. And even, even when they don't score a touchdown, it seems like they're missing a lot of field goals too. It's play so, calling, man. It's all play calling. It's all play calling, <laughs> yeah. Holmberg only has one touchdown in his last three games, two interceptions in that time too. So 
that could be a product of the red zone offense being so bad, or maybe the red zone offense right. is a product of Holmberg right. not having it, the ability. It, it could exactly it could be, and he's not a great runner. I mean, he can. He's got 277 yards in gains this year, but also 130 yards in losses. Averages 1.8 yards per carry. You know, I think when he's got space, you know, he's a decent enough runner, but I don't think he's going to be like Garrett Schrader. Although Virginia Tech made Jerkovic on Friday night look like, you know. Don't say O.J. Simpson. No, I'm not going to say that. But uh, (laughs) anyway, they made him look a lot like a lot much better. A lot better runner than he actually is. So. So, so I'm over here looking at Duke's season, season statistics. So time of possession per game, Duke, 29 minutes and 7 seconds. Mm-hmm. Their opponents have averaged 29 minutes and 20 seconds. What happened to the other 1 minute and 33 <laughs> yeah, seconds per game? <laughs> you would think it has to add up to 60. That does not make sense. <laughs> yeah, so um, – Suddenly, so can we actually reading, trust any of these stats? Everything I'm reading is thrown into doubt. <laughs> and I encounter stuff like this. It, it's remarkable. If, if you've looked through enough box scores and enough play-by-play, and, and Chris and I ran into this looking at PFF, it was, uh, it was a player that we thought had played in four games because he was shown as playing in four games on PFF. Chris, who was it? I think it was uh, number 35, uh, the tall wide receiver for Tech. Kelly Lawson. Kelly Lawson. But there is another 35 who plays on special teams for Virginia Tech. And PFF had gotten the two 35s confused and had lumped them together under Kelly Lawson. Now, Virginia Tech didn't. They listed Kelly Lawson as playing in one game and the other 35 is playing in, in three games. So if you do it long enough, you encounter all kinds of stuff like that. And it just – Sometimes you just wonder how accurate some of the stats are. I thought Storm Murphy had an assist last night that he wasn't given credit for, and I even went back and looked at it on the condensed version this morning. Yeah. He should have had an assist on that play. Wow. The live stats at one point last night, they gave one of Aline's first two threes to Justin Mutz, too. Right. So I yes. was I was saying he had 12 points on the broadcast last night. I was like, nope, he's got nine. He went from 12 to nine yep. sitting, sitting there in the Coliseum, yeah. Uh, Chris, you mentioned Jake Bobo and uh, Jalen Calhoun as well, both over 600 yards at receiver, but that's pretty much all they've got at wide receiver. Their next leading receiver is Mateo Durant right. with uh, 23 catches. Yeah, they just don't have a lot of depth there uh, at wide receiver. And, and, you know, even even some of their other targets here, like I don't know whether all these guys are tight ends or wide receivers or what, but Jontavis Robertson – 10, 11 catches, but only 6.3 yards per catch. Uh, uh, Nikki Dalmolin, 12 catches, but only 8.2 yards per catch. You know, so there just doesn't appear to be much big play threat here for, from the Duke offense. And, you know, that, that, that could be part of, of, of their issue scoring is, you know, at some point, you know, you can't drive down the field five yards at a time. At some point, you've got to bust some big plays. Yeah. It seems like Mateo Durant really the only real threat on uh, Duke's offense. Looking at the defense for the Blue Devils, mentioned in your preview again, very weak secondary. But can Virginia Tech pick on it if Braxton Burmeister isn't 100% or not even on the field at all? That's the big concern. Um, I I think Duke is very susceptible to the run and the pass. I I think if Virginia Tech had a healthy football team this week, this would be the best offensive output of the season. But I also think that they're – when you don't have Trey Turner and when you don't have Braxton Burmeister, it really, really worries me. And I don't even know 
Like, I could see three different quarterbacks starting for Virginia Tech. I could see Burmeister being a tough guy, like he's been all year, and coming out and starting the game, even though basically the entire right side of his body has got to be killing him right now. If he can't go, uh, you know, I could see it being Kadem because he's really the only healthy quarterback. But there's also the uh, possibility that Connor Bloomer will come back. And after the Notre Dame game, Fuente said he'd be out about a month. And, which was about a month ago. Which was about yeah. a month ago. So he's due <laughs> back at any week now. So I don't know. I've never felt so so many unknowns leading into a game. Like, how am I supposed to pick a game? When I don't even know, when I think one of three quarterbacks could start. Last week I picked Tech to beat Boston College because I thought it was going to be Braxton Burmeister versus those horrible Boston College backups. Instead, it was the game was Phil Dracovic versus Knox Kato. Right, right. So you just never know what's going to happen. You've read our preview. Tell them what I did in my part of the preview. Did you read this all the way This is the down? second time you've done this, I think. Yes, ever, right? it's, it's, not a, it's not an original thought. I just pulled up a random number generator and. You did. Okay, I I went through and I wrote down everybody's picks, but I did not see that that's what you I did. I threw a random number generator up there, and I said, pick a number. Virginia Tech goes first. Pick a number between 1 and 30, even though you can't score one point in a football game. And Virginia Tech had, came out to 25, and Duke was second, and they came out to 15. So that's was, my pick. I was going to say that's a strange pick. Are you thinking strange five? Score. I, I was like, are you picking five field goals for Duke and then – I don't even <laughs> five field goals for Virginia Tech and a touchdown. <laughs> no, Duke's going to score six a field goals. Well, I was going to say Duke's going to score a touchdown, and then they're going to score another touchdown and get a two point conversion. conversion. But okay. That's asking an awful lot of a team that's bad in the red zone. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's uh, I haven't read the comments yet, but I'm sure people are like, "How are they going to score twenty five? Like, read reading is fundamental. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. It, it feels to me like the Syracuse game where we're expecting this could be a three to nothing game with the way the offenses have played uh and if Knox Kadem is the quarterback for Virginia Tech or if it's Braxton Burmeister and he's just not quite a hundred percent but it could also end up being like that Syracuse game where there's almost 80 points of offense you just have no idea yeah I mean there have been several times this year where games have seemed like they were going to be lower scoring and they turned out to be higher scoring such as Notre Dame and such as Syracuse and there were some other there have been some others like that maybe have been the the other way around to a certain extent. Um, like like I thought the first game of the season was going to be high scoring. It turned out to be low scoring against yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. It's like the only North Carolina game this year that hasn't been high scoring. Yeah. Um, but like on paper, it just seems like Duke has had trouble scoring all year, and Virginia Tech doesn't appear to be able to score without Braxton Burmeister on the field. So. Just on paper, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of points in this game. But but it, again, we don't know. We don't know who is going to play quarterback for. Tech. I will make one prediction. I bet Malachi Thomas goes over 100. Again. That's a good pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna make that one. And so I'll bet Raheem so Blackshear, whatever he gets, averages over five yards a carry. That's also a good pick. Because yep. that's been what's I, been happening. What's been happening. I mean, I, yeah, Duke's been bad against the run. Equally bad against the run and pass. It seems like to me. So I think Tech will have a good running game for the fourth straight week. Is that the way the Hokies could possibly win this game? Oh, that's if... their only way to win it. <laughs> I mean, if they can't run the ball, how are they going to pass it? Like, even if with Burmeister, what if what if what if there's no Bur- no Burmeister and no Trey Turner? I mean, they had to put Changa Hodge on the football field against Boston College, and great comeback from Changa Hodge to come back with a torn ACL from the spring. From the spring, but is that really your best option when Trey Turner's out? Yeah. Is is a guy who? had like two weeks of practice before no preseason. I mean, there's no way he's in game shape. He's completely rusty. 
Um, he didn't even play that much last year anyway. He's never been through a spring practice, or at least not a complete spring practice wow. at, at Virginia Tech. Um, so that kind of gives you a feeling of, of Tech's their depth at wide receiver right now when Trey Turner goes down. So, I mean, even if Burmeister does come back, I mean, losing Trey Turner is eats into your wide receiver production quite a bit. Is that yeah. the biggest factor? Is whether those two guys play? It seems I, like I it think would be. if those guys play and they can play effectively, I, I actually think Virginia Tech, you know, they'll win maybe even pretty comfortably. Um, but if they can't play, I can, you know, I, I don't see Tech winning. I think it's a lot of fun not knowing what to expect, like yeah, at all. I, I'm having a lot of fun thinking about us <laughs> losing to Duke again. At throwing home. darts, so much fun. Of course, I'm I'm pretty relaxed these days because I I think. I think what's going to happen at the end of the season is a foregone conclusion yes. at this point. So, you know, why not relax and have fun yeah. with it? And yeah. um, I will say this. I don't, I don't want to get preachy, but, you know, have a little class and dignity on Saturday. Yeah. You know, um, there's a head coach who you never know for sure, but there appears to be a high level of probability he won't be here next year. There, there's no reason to get ugly. And, and, you know? and, and, you know, this decision has been made as far as, we're concerned most far as we know and so just chanting fire fuente at the end of the game is you're wasting your time that all it does is make virginia bad. tech look bad in front of recruits and, yeah. and everything like that yeah. so so like just let it go like it's it's over like these last three games i mean we're never going to remember them like five six seven years from now like in the in the Hey, look, somebody forgot to turn their oh, phone down. God. <laughs> um, and I warned everybody again. But anyway. Uh, I'm a busy man. I got a lot on my you mind. Do. I am um, the founder and general manager. Should we bring back head honcho? <laughs> we, 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 we can uh, adjust it. Um, but like so, these three games are like, I don't know they're important to the individual players who are going to be playing in them, right. but in the grand scheme of things, they're like the three most, three least significant games in Virginia Tech football in like the last 30 years. And also think of it this way. There are, I think, 20 football players that are going to participate in Senior, senior day. day. Right. Think of those football players. And their last including experience. James Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Including possibly James Mitchell. It's not a foregone conclusion. Well, he, he said he is participating in it. He, he said he's participating okay. in it, but we've also heard that he is. It's not a definite he's that he's leaving. It. He's going to participate because just in case he does leave, but he could potentially come back. Next so, game. so the other thing I want to say is, in case it's not over, as Chris just said, <laughs> we will pull that video clip up and we'll say, "Hey, we were wrong, but we think it's over." Yeah. Well, and uh, earlier this week, Dax Hollyfield announced he is going to come back next year, so he will not be participating. And I would assume he won't be participating in Dax Day. loves him some Virginia Tech. He yes. sure does. He will be back next year, so at least we know Tech. No matter what happens, one guy's not entering the transfer portal. It will be Dax Hollyfield. Yeah. Uh, let's get into game picks. We've already heard Wills uh, and the random number number generator that led him to Virginia Tech twenty five, Duke fifteen. Chris, I uh, I'm picking Duke. I think I picked it what twenty four to twenty. Twenty four to twenty. As far as the score goes, that's kind of a random score, but I, I couldn't decide like how can I pick the game based on quarterbacks when I don't even know which quarterback is going to play or if it's going to be some combination of all of them. So I just picked it based on the fact that Tech has been so bad at home recently. They're yeah. playing at home, so I think they'll lose. For the last 10 years or so. <laughs> right. And this, that predates Justin Fuente. Yes, it does. So. 
Well, and this is the first time you two are breaking stride this season. Through the first uh, nine games of the season, you guys had both picked the same team every week. I know, and now I was really hoping David would go ahead and pick Virginia Tech so I could have a chance to catch up and pull into a tie. Yes. But no, no, no. he has to go making, I don't know. David picked 17-13. And I know know David's going to pick Miami, and I know he's going to pick UVA. Really? So, I think so, huh? Well, I'm sure he will. You I mean, gotta, assuming, assuming Armstrong plays. You've got to so pick, I, I, to catch so, him. so, like, if I want to tie him at the end, I've got to pick one of those as an upset <laughs> and actually have it <laughs> That'd work. That'd be right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, if Virginia Tech wins, I pull into a first-place tie with David. Yes. Right. So, right now, David's 6-3 and three on the season. Will and Chris, both 5-4. and four. How the are the fans? Fans are 6-3. and three. They were got it wrong for the first time in a month uh, last week. They had Tech winning by 1-10. to 10. Boston College won yeah. by fourteen. I think it's, I think everybody last week like it's understandable if you pick Virginia Tech to win that game. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Just based on what we knew going in, but everything we knew going in got completely blown up within so, a fifteen-minute stretch of finding out Dracovic was going to play and then Burmeister getting hurt. So if you don't know what we're talking about, then go to TechSideline.com and pull up our game preview. And at the end, we. We do two things. Uh, well, first of all, the three of us pick independently. And then we also put a poll up for the fans to pick. And at the bottom of all that, we run tables showing the results for the season. So that's the, the numbers that, that Jake is giving are, are from those tables. Yep, right in the preview at the very bottom. And you can also find the poll to vote in if you want to join the fans, try and keep that record getting So where better. is that right now? So 501 votes right now. This is the closest I think we've had it all season, at least at this point when we talk about it on the podcast. 501 votes, 253 think the Hokies will win 248 think Duke will win uh, so very close right now Duke by 1 to 10 is actually the overall leader 39% of voters picking Duke to win by 1 to 10 Hokies by 1 to 10 is 32% Hokies by 11 plus 19% Duke by 11 plus at 11% 3.30 kickoff last time to have a good tailgate until September that's what you yes. should really be focused yeah. on this week and I've heard tickets are actually not that easy to come by uh i've heard a lot of tech seniors are going pretty hard to try and get tickets if they don't you know regardless of how the season has gone and how you feel about everything not being able to go to football games last year uh left a pretty darn indelible impression Mm -hmm. that i'm not sure how long that's going to last but it's certainly to me lasting all through this year i thought oh sorry uh but the basketball game last night even when Virginia Tech has been good the last few years, even at the end of the buzz era, you never saw the students occupy those seats in the student section above the band. Yeah, and yeah. they were last night. Yeah. They went all the way Great up crowd. to the corners. There were and, something like sixty four hundred fans. In the yeah, game and or yeah, like and and like the empty seats that you saw in the arena were empty regular fan seats. The oh, student yeah. section was completely occupied. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a really good sign. Students showed out really well last night. I, I think it'll be a decent crowd on Saturday, at at the very least at the beginning of the game. Every crowd this year has been better than I thought it would be going into it. So I thought, I, I, I'd agree with that. And so I will uh, – the latest weather forecast I looked at, the chance of rain has been dropping throughout the week, and it, it's pretty low. And I think they're saying about mid-40s during the day and getting down to mid-high 20s at night. So as the sun goes down, as it goes from three thirty to six thirty and seven o'clock, it'll it'll get colder. So make sure you're dressed appropriately, and your mom has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's check in with the YouTube chat, Katie. Any good questions in there today? 
Yeah, Joseph Kennedy asks, what differs from giving Bullock a shot at some playing time as a true freshman versus Tyrod playing as a true freshman? I would assume this starts with Tyrod was a five-star. Tyrod was a much, yeah, Tyrod was a way more advanced player than Bullock. Bullock was a three-star average Joe recruit. I think he has a good long-term potential, but he's, from a rankings perspective, he's just like 90% of quarterback recruits out there. I think he can be a good player if developed properly and everything like that. But I just, at this point, I don't think he's anywhere close to being ready. And it might even be a disservice to him. If you throw him into the fire before he's ready and he struggles and it hurts his confidence, um, I just don't think it's a good idea to play him. And, and we talked about this on the podcast before. If this was D. Davis or even Alex Orgy, maybe you're making that decision to play him, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like Bullock is quite at that same level of talent Yeah, at this yeah point. right. I, I think he's a guy who needs a little more development time, um, and I just don't think it would be in his best interest to play him. Another question from Joseph Kennedy. He says, does Fuente not being canned at this point raise the question of Witt possibly copying the Nebraska model, keeping Fuente a little longer at the cost of him I losing? I, I, I would, I would be. It's rare these days that we get surprised by anything. I would be floored if Fuente <clears throat> was back yeah. next year. Uh, I just don't think it's possible with the fan base at all. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, there was some discussion earlier in the year about whether he would be released during the middle of the season um, and everything like that. But I don't even see the point of that because you just put Justin Hamilton or whoever in a situation where he's trying to win a game with probably a backup quarterback, and that's just not good for anybody. Plus, you know, if you if you don't fire Fuente during the season, there's always the hope that maybe Tech does win a couple down the stretch and maybe somebody else hires him and you don't have to pay a buyout. Yeah. So Yeah, we were talking about that a week ago. You know, and, and then the loss to Boston College happened. Uh, the other thing about the Nebraska situation, I, I openly admit I haven't followed it that closely, it is a, the, your athletic director, Trev Alberts, played football at Nebraska. And so did the head coach. So did the head coach. Um, and I don't know how competitive they've been versus how competitive Virginia Tech's been. They haven't been as competitive. Mm-hmm. And it's only been, what, he's only in his third year? Right. Something like that. It's not been six years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, they were competitive with Ohio State last weekend. That's only one game, though. I saw Nebraska, I believe they're one in five in the Big Ten right now, but have a positive point differential in those games. Yeah. And, so, and, God, they still fill up that stadium, man. Their do. fans are insane. Yeah. Uh, they, I saw an end zone shot of their game, and that end zone was completely full. That's all the questions. All right, that's all we got. Thank, Thank you, you Joseph to, uh, to Joseph, Joseph Kennedy, Kennedy. <laughs> and Katie for getting to those. Uh, before we talk about what's coming up on Tech Sideline, do want to plug that the women's soccer team opens up NCAA tournament play on Friday night at Thompson Field against Ohio State. So, uh, Of course, it's at the same time as the basketball. So two, nights, is, two yeah. nights from now? Two nights from now, Friday night at Thompson Field. That opens up uh, – t- so Tech is – I'm assuming the higher seeded team since it's being played in Blacksburg. Right. Uh, and then the winner would most likely get number two overall seeded Arkansas in the next round. Wow. Arkansas has got the number two team in the seeded team in the country. Didn't Tech recently in the last few years knock Arkansas out of the NCAA tournament? I believe they did. Believe they beat here. Texas one year, and I want to say they beat Arkansas, Arkansas. the next year. Yeah. Could be wrong there, though. Uh, well, Chris, what is coming up on Tech Sideline this week? You know, I normally do it inside the numbers on Thursday, but 
uh, as we've talked about, I've decided not to do that the rest of the season so I can research potential head coaching so candidates. Who have so I'm ready at the end so of the season. I've, so far, I've researched Dave Clawson and, and uh, Billy Napier. I'm on Charles Huff now, and I've done a little bit with Josh Gaddis. Right. A Michigan offensive coordinator who was at Wake Forest. So, you know, hopefully, you know, by the time something happens, as we assume it is at the end of the season, you know, I'll have had, you know, seven or eight guys researched. <laughs> and then Witt will pick somebody And else. he's going to – I'm going to be like, oh, God. Thanks, what a thanks, waste of all my Thursdays. Yeah. But, no, so that's the plan for that. And then Friday, David David's actually going to write a Navy preview for yep. us. I'll do my regular Q&A. So kind of the same stuff except for no inside the numbers. And David texted me. He wanted me to plug all of the non-subscriber stuff that's going to go up. Uh, men's basketball, women's basketball recaps from last night already up on Tech Sideline. And Chris Hirons will have recaps of both women's basketball games this weekend at George Washington and at George Mason up in Northern Virginia. Uh, David, again, in Annapolis for the Navy game. Jack Brizendine, a season preview for wrestling tomorrow. So uh, wrestling opens there. Coming on Thursday, huh? Yeah. Oh, he, they open their season next Friday against Ohio State. Well, they uh, wrestled last weekend, and I, I can't remember if Ohio State's the 17th or the 19th. I can never remember which there, it is. There's two in that weekend, Ohio State, Gardner-Webb. So uh, Jack Presendine again, has that preview. And then Chris Hirons has an Olympic sports story, and that will be headlined by that women's soccer game on uh, on Friday. So uh, lots coming up covering all sports on TechSideline.com. So. A lot to look forward to. I believe that's going to wrap things up here on episode 207 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We recapped the main win last night for the men's basketball team and look ahead to their trip to Annapolis to face Navy on Friday. And we talked about football playing Duke. Will has one more thing. Everyone like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Stop what you're doing and listen. (laughs) Like and subscribe. We've plugged that three times now. So if you've been listening the whole time, you better have liked and subscribed at this point. And uh, if you are listening archived, Drop a comment, a regular comment on the video too, uh, not just in the live chat. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I want to thank everybody on the set. Will Stewart across the way, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com. You can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman to my left, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. In the fourth chair, Katie Adams always does a phenomenal job. Katie Six Adams on Twitter. Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and I'm Jake Lyman, your host, signing off. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans, and we'll talk to you on Monday.